As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Draw us back together. Well, just to say a really warm welcome to you. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's lovely to have you with us this morning. Uh, I hope you've got great bank holiday plans. It looks like the weather is going to be great. So get the barbecues out and enjoy the time over the next couple of days. Um, if, as Lindsay, Lindsay said, if you're new or visiting us, special welcome to you. There's welcome packs for you in the back. We'd love to say hi if you want to find out about who we are. Do come and grab one of myself, myself one of the team. Some of us have got badges on. Uh, if you find us in the welcome area, just do come and say hi. We'd love to um, uh, just answer any questions that you might have about St. Paul's. Before I begin, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, this morning we, we are talking and looking at the, the simplest yet deepest thing, love. And I really pray for us that we would grow in our understanding of your love. But most importantly, that we would grow in our experience of your love. That as Paul prayed, that you'd fill us to all the fullness that comes from you. Holy Spirit, we say, come, reveal your love to us now. We welcome your love. Thank you that it's your desire to pour it upon us. Speak to us through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if I were to ask you the question, what is Jesus' message, what you would say? I wonder if you're into Twitter, if you could do it in less than 140 characters. I don't know. You could do that. What is Jesus' message? Could you do it in less than 140 characters? Um, yesterday, I, I decided I wanted to find out what people thought Jesus' message was. So I went to Sainsbury's by West Ealing, and I took my uh, little, little notebook, and uh, I decided I'd ask people some questions, whether they thought about what Jesus' message was. Now, I know that if you go to anywhere public and say to someone, hi, I'm doing a survey, have you got a minute to stop? You've never seen people avoid you as fast as that. But I thought, I, I don't want to make it easy for people to stop. I'm not going to offer them anything free. So I said to them, I'm doing a survey. I've got one question. Would you be willing to answer it? And most people stopped. One or two, one or two pretended they didn't hear me, kept on walking. Um, but I just chose to believe they were a little bit deaf. So shouted louder as I chased them down the street. No, not really. Um, <laughs> But I just, I just did a notepad and asked them. I said, so, okay, the one question is this. What, is, what do you think Jesus' message is? And here's what they said. Um, number one, 
Look after people. Love others equally. Treat people as equals. Love everyone. Be good. I didn't like the be good bit. Um, Simple message. Care for people. Love our fellow human beings. It's different for different people and it really has no meaning for me. Be good to others and so on and so on. In 45 minutes, I probably spoke to about a dozen people, uh, most of whom weren't Christians, didn't have anything to do with church. Uh, a, couple were, a couple of guys were from another faith, and, um, and then a couple of people I spoke to were, were Christians. Um, but just about all of them pointed to the message of Jesus being about love and being about loving other people. That we're not just here for ourselves, we're here for others. Now, I summed up those messages into sentences because some people, when you ask them this question, they're not just dismissive about it. They will really want to talk to you about, about what Jesus' message. In fact, one guy, I asked him the question. He said, no, 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 what do you think? I'm thinking, you don't want to ask me that question. I'm going to tell you. So I did. <laughs> and... Uh, I thought that was really great. Uh, and, um, but people really wanted to talk about Jesus because they're fascinated about Jesus. Jesus fascinates people. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Whether they believe in him or don't believe in him, people are fascinated about Jesus. And the other thing I found really fun was, was I sort of didn't tell them all the truth, really, because at the end of that first question, I just said, look, is it all right if I ask you a second question? And they all looked at me and go, you started with the one. You're one of those survey people, aren't you? You're going to now get me to sign up to a timeshare in Abu Dhabi or something. And, and um, I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm someone who prays for people. I said, is there one thing that I could pray for you for? And the first couple I prayed for, they wanted to pray for world peace, so we prayed for that. So hopefully by this time tomorrow, things will be tickety-boo and we'll all be good. Um, the second guy I prayed for, I, I, I t- said this to, so a Polish guy called Conrad, and he said to me, his face lit up when I offered to pray for him. And he said, I'm going to become a dad next month for the first time. I'm really excited. He said, but can you pray that all goes well? I said, oh, absolutely. So, you know, outside Sainsbury's, I said, I'm going to pray for you. Prayed for him. Um, and um, because people he's not used to being prayed for so he just stared at me so I kept my eyes open because I prayed with my eyes open and I stared back at him and prayed for him he didn't feel awkward in the slightest I'm not telling you how I felt um, another woman who came to pray for me I'd never met her before I just asked her about the question about what Jesus' message was and then I said what's the one thing I could pray for you for and, and she said my finances are a mess please can you pray for me I'm like crumbs that's, that's brave to be really honest with a stranger about that but you know she just wanted help God help me she was saying and so we were just able to pray for her and I prayed I don't know you know, if I'll see her again but I prayed that God would just provide for her and so on and so on I think there was only two people who said they didn't want me to pray for them I met one lovely Christian couple who are Catholics they go to the Catholic church right by where I live and every Wednesday evening they meet uh, with they have their home open for an hour where they just pray for people they pray for people to be healed. They've seen people come to faith. They just said, and they said to me, you and your wife, you must come. I said, how did you know I have a wife? They said, well, you must come anyway. Come and pray with us. Come and, uh, you know, come and we, we pray for Muslims. We pray for Sikhs. Pray for all kinds of people who want to come into our home. We pray for them. It was such fun. One of the best 45 minutes I've had on a Saturday afternoon. It was much better than listening to the radio and my football team getting relegated for the second time in two seasons. God is good all the time. Anyway bless you um so one of the things is <laughs> i knew if i got into football i'd you know my heart would break and i wouldn't be able to go on the one of the things that's really important is is that actually we are living in a world that knows about love but has never maybe really experienced it in the way that god intended us to you know we live in a world that knows that the message of jesus is about love 
but wonders if they've ever seen it. In fact, one of the people I talked to yesterday um, said to me, the first thing was, I'm not religious. I said, well, that's great. You're just the people I want to talk to. She then said, well, the reason I don't go to church anymore is because I didn't really see what Jesus taught about lived out. I thought, crumbs, that's a challenge, isn't it? But we know the message of Jesus is about love one another. It's about love. So really what I'm going to talk about this morning is Jesus' command in this passage, love one another as I've loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the center of Jesus' message. That is absolutely tweetable. You can fit that into anything. It's so short, so simple, yet absolutely profound and deep. So how does Jesus tell us to do that in this passage? Well, in, chapter, um, in verse 9 of, of chapter 15 of John's Gospel, Jesus says this. This is how he said it in the, it's translated in the message. I have loved you the way my Father has loved me, so make yourselves at home in my love. I've loved you as the Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. You know, we are made to know and experience the love of God. That's how we're made. That's how we're created. Let me take you back to Genesis, to the, right at the start of the Bible. Uh, God making the heavens and the earth, and everything he sees he makes is good, and he's pleased with it. And then he comes to creating human beings. And this is what, this is what Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be, oursel- to be like ourselves. They will be masters over life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. We're made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God means that we are made to be creatures of love. The Trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a, the best way I think to describe the Trinity is this constant relationship of love. Jesus said, as the Father loved me, so I love you. Jesus knew the eternal love of the Father before we were even thought of. Jesus, all through eternity, has known that his Father has loved him because the Father loves the Son and the Spirit loves the Father. The Son loves the Spirit and, and the Father loves the Son. The cycle goes on and on. This deep, wonderful relationship of love. That's the best way to describe who God is. That's why John the Apostle who wrote this gospel that we're looking at in his letter says God is love. Those who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Because if we live in love, we're living in that wonderful relationship with the Father through the Son, by the Spirit. We join in that relationship with love. That's what we're made to be. So when we're made in the image of God, we're made to share in the love that God has uh, for himself, if you like, within that trinity. Um, Being made in the image of God means that we're made to love others. Um, Sometimes this text is used to kind of, uh, you know, allow all kinds of environmental destruction that we can do whatever we like with the world. But actually what it's talking about is stewardship. It's about caring and nurturing. It's about loving the world. We're creatures of love, to be loved and to love. So how has the Father loved Jesus? Well, we see in this uh, community of the Trinity that God the Father loves the Son who loves the Spirit. And there's that wonderful relationship of love. But in the Gospels, we see the Father affirming the Son. We know we come to Jesus' baptism. You remember the story? Uh, Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan. Heaven opens. The Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And this is what the Father says. This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. The Father affirms the Son. 
As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I love you. The Father affirms the Son. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of being publicly affirmed for something. Maybe a graduation at university or a or a, a prize giving at work or, or at school or whatever it might be. For me, I've got one memory or one memory I particularly remember was uh, when I was part of a swimming club. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I used to swim uh, for a local swimming club where I lived. And um, I'd not long joined. I'd been there about nine months and we had our end of year award ceremony. And there were some really good swimmers at that club. There was a guy called Roland Lee who used to swim for England. He was in our swimming club. He had his own lane to himself because it was no point putting anyone else with him because you couldn't keep up. But there were some great swimmers in the club and I was quite new. Um, and the kind of prize giving evening, it's one of those evenings when you're a teenager when you just really are waiting for the party to start. You know, there's kind of prize givings and that's quite boring. Uh, and you know who's going to win everything and so you're sat there thinking this is really dull. Um, but you're just waiting for the disco to start. That's how long ago it was, we had discos. And, um, and my parents, about two months, a month before that, suddenly became really interested in the prize giving. And I'm like, really? You want to come to, my, uh, to a prize giving? That's really boring. I'm there for the party, and you're definitely not staying for the party. So you can only come for the prize-giving bit, unless you're going to buy me food, and then you can stay for all of it. Um, that's how grateful I was as a child. Anyway, so my parents, they said, we want you to get us tickets. So I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Why are they doing that? Got them tickets, and they come to the prize-giving. And I'm sat with them on the table uh, at this prize-giving, and I'm bored to death listening to all the prices given out. And I wasn't really concentrating until I suddenly heard my name mentioned. And I suddenly heard them describe a race that I'd been in where I'd achieved a kind of qualifying time for the county championships and um and then suddenly i heard and the, and the award for the best improved swimmer this year is chris fox and i went oh i should have concentrated so i got up looking very surprised and got the you know the little plastic trophy and and turned around the whole club everyone's cheering clapping for me and my parents are cheering me on they're saying well done son well done you've won best improved swimmer this year but you know what I remember the gala that I got the qualifying time for the county championships. I remember where I stood, and I remember looking up in the balcony to my left, and my dad was stood there. Come on, son. Well done. As the fathers love me, this is my son, whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. So I love you. Jesus says, I affirm you. I love you. I think you're great. I'm for you. That's why when, when sometimes religion gets all judgmental, when we judge others, when we, we hammer others down, it seems so wrong because it is. Because Jesus, in John 3, 17, Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world, but to save it. I affirm you. Do we need to hear that this morning? Do we need to know that God affirms us, that he's for us, that he loves us? In the same way that he loved the Son, he loves us. We are loved like that. Jesus demonstrated that to us. Um, when Jesus said, I've loved you as the Father loved me, that word loved is a complete, kind of a complete action, if you like. He's done it completely. He's loved us perfectly. And how has he done that? Through his death on the cross, the ultimate expression of the love of God. Again, John in his letter says this, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to love our brothers and sisters. That complete demonstration of love is seen most perfectly in death, in Jesus laying down his life for us. Greater love has no one than this, 
than he lays down his life for his friends. You know, true love is always sacrificial and generous. That's why the movies, the, one of the biggest storylines is sacrificial love. Someone laying down their life for someone else. That's what grabs us. That's what compels us to stick with the story. That's what moves us to tears. Why? Because we know we have a God who's done that for us. And if we don't know that, that's what we're longing for. For someone willing to lay down their life for us. The good news is, friends, is that we have someone who's done it for a purpose to save us, that we might know the love of the Father. When Jesus left the riches of heaven and came to earth to live amongst us, he didn't just come for the rich and famous. He, did, he came for those who were spiritually bankrupt. He came to Zacchaeus, who was rich and was infamous, but spiritually bereft. He came uh, for the least loved and the least wanted. He demonstrated the Father's love for the prodigals and those who'd wandered away. He touched the lepers, not worried that he'd be made unclean, but knowing that they would be made clean and included and back into the community. He spoke tenderly to the demonized and the oppressed. He fed the hungry. Jesus demonstrates the Father's love through his actions. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Everything we see Jesus do is how the Father longs to love us. And it's in this love, this love of God shown by Jesus, that he says to remain in. Remain in my love. Why? Why is it important to remain in the love of God? Well, firstly, it's where we find our identity. It's the only place that we find our true identity. We will never find it in a career. We will never find it fully in another relationship. We will never find it in money or in in success or fame. Our identity will never be made complete aside from the love of God, knowing that we are absolutely unconditionally loved by God. That's where our identity and our security comes from. So what are the th- there are three things, I think, about our identity that we, we need to know. The first is this, is that we are loved children of God. This is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And Jesus affirms that to us. The Apostle John, I keep referring to his, his writing because he really knows about love. He described himself, didn't he, as the, as the beloved disciple, the disciple Jesus loved. That's not big-headed, that's secure. That's knowing who he is, the disciple Jesus loved. He says in his first letter, uh, 1 John 3, 1, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are children of God. That's our first place we go. We are, our identity is that we're children of God. As we follow Christ, we join with him. The second is Jesus affirms in, in, in this reading, is that we no longer are called servants, but we're friends. You know, Paul takes it further in Romans chapter 8. He says that we're not just children of God, but we're co-heirs with Christ. That's the language of siblings. That means that whatever rights Jesus has, we have the same rights. Whatever Jesus gets, we get. We're co-heirs. So when Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, he's saying, you're not just ones to be ordered around. You're to be included. You're to be part of the plan the Father has for the world. We're friends, not servants. And finally, thirdly, we're chosen. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and sent you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. We are chosen by God. It's not like a school football game where the best are picked first. In fact, in the kingdom, Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. It's good news for those who seem to be left out that the Lord says, I choose you, I choose you. I choose you. It's his initiative, not ours. 
So firstly, we find our identity in the love of God. That's why we need to remain in his love. That's why we need to know his love so that our identity is secure. The second thing is that we find our purpose in the love of God. And what's our purpose? It's to be included and involved in in, in God's purpose for the world, which is tell them that I love them. Love the world, love others the way I've loved you. Um, The fruit that Jesus talks about where he says that you're chosen to go and bear fruit that will last, that's fruit that has eternal significance, fruit that really matters. It's about changed lives. The only way to change lives, the love of God. It's fruit that's rooted and established in the love of God. So we find our identity in the love of God. We need to know that we're loved children of God. And we find our purpose, that we're made to love others. You know, God has no plan B. He's entrusted us with his love that we might demonstrate that to the world around us. That's why we need to remain in his love. How do we do it? Well, it's two things really, really simple. The first is we pray for it. We pray for more of the love of God in our lives. This wonderful prayer that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's absolutely tied down our identity secure in that love that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love in the Bible the phrase to know most of the time that's used is about sexual intimacy what Paul is saying here is we need to know the love of God so close so intimate so really that physically we almost can feel it that's what the image Paul is giving us here that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God God's intention for us is that we be filled to overflowing with the love of God that's where we find our identity we pray for it we ask God for more of it the other way that we get more of the love of God is we give it away we give it away by obeying the command that Jesus gave us in verse 10 in John chapter 15 Jesus says this When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. When we love others as Jesus loved us, we grow in love ourselves. That's the economy of the kingdom. As we give away, God gives to us. Maybe some of us today think, I'm really in need of encouragement today. I would just love someone to encourage me. Well, you know, I really hope, if that's the case, we'd love to pray for you and ask for a word of encouragement for you. But you know, also, as we encourage others, even in a place of feeling like we need encouragement, we find God's encouragement. That's the economy of the kingdom. That's how it works. As we give away, God gives to us. God gives to us that we can give away. That's how it works, with all kinds of things and all kinds of ways in life. So we come to the second thing. The first thing is to remain in his love. The second is to love one another. And this is the most important thing. You know, I think to love one another, to love other people, is our greatest calling as human beings. I don't think there is anything more important than loving one another. Again, one of the the great joys I have working here is working with the Discipleship Year, which is with a bunch of 18 to 24-year-olds, helping them to grow as followers of Jesus and discover their calling in life. And the question being asked, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? Well, quite simply, love others as God has loved you. The rest is detail. Love others as God has loved you. You know, no career or job is more important than loving others as God has loved you. No relationship is more important. Nothing is more important. Do you know, I don't believe there's a situation too difficult or challenging where the love of God can't bring change. 
Let me tell you a story that I heard this week. It's about a man called Robert Cornwell. Robert Cornwell is a, um, a pastor in, um, in Portland, in Oregon. Um, he'd been leading a church there for a while, uh, but had come to the place of thinking, I really need uh, to get out into the community because I want to share the love of God with, with others in my community. So I'm going to try and find some opportunities to do that. So he visited local schools and hospitals and uh, businesses and shops to say, look, is there anything I can do? I'm a minister, I've got time, anything I can do to serve you. And everywhere he found, the doors were shut. And then he came to uh, a psychiatric hospital. Now, this is in the days when psychiatric care is not as good as it is today. And he said to them, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And the nurse, uh, the sister of the ward said, it would be great if you come next Monday, if you were able to give an hour a week from that Monday onwards, every Monday. He said, yeah, absolutely, I can give an hour a week on a Monday. So the next Monday he arrives... uh, visits the the, the sister, the nurse he was uh, kind of contacted with... She said, okay, I want you to follow me. We're going to go to room 37. And he thought, oh, okay, I don't know what room 37 is. Uh, he came to this, this doorway, which was covered in locks and padlocks, and there was no room number on there. And he said, this is room 37. He said, yep, yeah, this is room 37. And so she unlocked the doors uh, and, and said, in you go. So he walked into this room. Behind him, the door shuts and is locked and bolted. Now, he realises why this is called room 37, because in this padded room are 37 psychotic patients. This is in the days before there was proper care, and he finds himself in a room that is full of human waste and muck and people who are desperately disturbed. There's not a sound in that room. That People are just sat on the floor. No one is talking. There's no life in that room. And Robert Cornwall stands in the room thinking, what on earth can I do here? Let alone the worry and fear he feels having had this huge door behind him bolted in with 37 patients um, all suffering from different levels of psychosis. He's never prayed like he's prayed that day. Just as he's praying, he feels the Lord tell him to sing. So he goes, I don't know what to sing. And this is the song that came into his head. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He sung it a lot better than I did. And he thinks, okay, I can sing that. So he finds himself a space in the room, sits on the floor in the midst of all this mess and filth and human waste, and sings this song. After an hour, he sings the song. The nurse comes back, unlocks the door, opens it up, brings him out. He's outside. She says to him, you are coming back next week, aren't you? I think everything within Robert Cornwall's body said no, but his mind and his heart said yes. The next week, next Monday, he comes back. He's taken to room 37. The door is unbolted and locked. He walks inside, finds his seat, sits down, begins to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sings it over and over and over again. Nothing happens. After an hour, the door's unbolted, unlocked, opened up. He leaves, comes back. The nurse says to him again, you are going to come back next week, aren't you? This time he's like, yeah. Comes back the third week. Doors opened. He walks in. Doors locked behind him. He sits down. He begins to sing. All of a sudden, this very large woman stands up and starts walking towards him. A slight amount of adrenaline begins to fire in his body. There's no way out of this room. What do I do? if she attacks me she comes very close to him where he sat down he sat down she's towering up here and she sits right next to him she starts singing 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's two of them singing. Two of them singing this song. I think he's got a bit more courage at this point. Let me tell you what happened. Over the next six months, one by one, each of the 37 patients began singing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. At the end of the six months, 36 out of the 37 were out of the room out on self-help wards. By the end of the year, all 37 were out of hospital and many were attending Robert Cornwall's church. There isn't a situation in this world where the love of God can't change lives. There isn't a person in this world that can't be changed by the love of God. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't need the love of God to change us, to transform us. Robert Cornwall was a man who believed that sacrificial love in action changes lives and changes the world one at a time. I believe that's the message of Jesus that those I spoke to yesterday believed that he meant. I think that's what they had in mind. I think they had in mind that people would lay down their lives for others. As I've I've loved you the way my Father has loved me, so love each other as I've loved you. We might not have that kind of environment to go into, not on Monday morning this week, rejoice, rejoice, but on Tuesday. I got it wrong on the last service. They ticked me off for talking about going to work on Monday. And everyone said, well, I'm not going. Being bank holiday, just in case anyone hadn't worked that out. Um, How can we put this into practice in the workplace, in our family, in our community? We might not have 37 psychiatric patients to work with and to sing to. But we might have someone in our office who we know is in need of encouragement. Maybe they're going through a a breakdown in a relationship or financially are really struggling. Maybe it's within our family. We We know there are people who need to know the love of God. I think if I asked anyone here, do you know someone who just needs to know the love of God? I don't think there'd be a hand left down. So how can we do it? I don't know if you've ever come across um, the, the idea of the five love languages. Is that familiar to anyone? Um, great. If you're not familiar with it, maybe you've done it if you've been on a parenting course or in a marriage course uh, or any relationship training. The idea of five love languages is there are five maybe ways that we express love to other people and five ways that we like to receive love. And so I thought I'd take these five and use that as a kind of way of us thinking this week, how can we show the love of God? How can we love others as we've been loved? And the five are touch, words, service, time, and gifts. So how can we love others this week with our touch? How can we physically put ourselves in a place where we are able to show love to others? I think Robert Cornwall's example of this is amazing. Putting yourself in the mess of other people's lives and being there for them. We know um, child development uh, experts will tell you that if you, a child is not hugged or shown physical love won't grow properly compared to a child that is. You know, physical touch and affection is really important. Jesus himself said, whatever you do for the least, if it's clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting the prisoner, whatever it might be, whatever you do, you do it for me. When we touch the poor, we touch Jesus. Whatever we can do to serve the least physically with our hands with our hearts what can we do this week to serve to touch to love through our touch what about through our words on Thursday night our life group we decided this week we would uh, find a different person each day to give words of encouragement to Um, so we prayed on Thursday night all of the group we just asked God to give us a name for someone for that next day and we would encourage them with with something to say 
and, and hopefully for all of us with this week, we'll, we'll continue to do that. But maybe we're sat on the tube and there's someone opposite us who just looks in need of encouragement. Could we give them a word of encouragement? Yeah, that's pretty scary. That puts us right out there. But imagine yourself in that situation. Wouldn't it be nice for a stranger who loves the Lord just to go, do you know, I just think I want to say something encouraging to you. You know, having a hard time, is there anything I can do to help? Could I pray for you? I think we'd find that really encouraging, that God's noticed us. I think the fact that this woman yesterday could say to me, I've got real financial problems, can you pray for me? I think she found the fact that a Christian was talking to her was really encouraging. You know, I pray that God is, is ministering in that place. You know, again, we might need encouragement, but let's just encourage others, because as we encourage, we'll be encouraged ourselves. Who can we encourage this week? Let's be natural about it. If we see someone who's in need of encouragement, let's not be too spiritual that we don't do it until God gives us a word. We've seen them, they need encouragement, let's encourage them. That's how it is. We, we, God uses all of our senses to do that. Let's encourage one another. How about service? You know, I think acts of kindness speak volumes in, a world, in our world. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap, you know. The local elections this week, one of the things that's come through is that we don't trust politicians. Now, I, know that's, I think that's harsh. I think politicians, are, on the whole, are trying to do the best thing they can for us. And I want to bless and pray for uh, our councillors and our politicians and those who serve us in this country. Um, but actually, what people often are saying is, is talk is cheap. I want to see some action. Um, I think they say that about us Christians sometimes, you know, want to see some action. I, I thank God that we're many, many of us are part of a church that we, we serve the poor through different ministries. So we do the noise in September where we, hundreds of us go out and serve, do practical projects. But this week, could we do the shopping for someone? You know, service is always done in the mundane. It's always in the small things. Can we wash someone's car? Can we uh, just visit someone? Can we help someone in the workplace? Can we do someone else's work that costs us an extra hour in the office but really helps someone else out? That's profound. That would speak loudly, I would think, of the love of God. What about our time? Time is such an important thing, isn't it? It's such an important demonstration of love. You know, if we're willing to spend time with someone, listen to them, take on board what, what they need. Uh, maybe with our children or with our husband or wife or with our friends who just need a place to speak. Jesus was often interrupted by the loudest shouters. I don't know who the loudest shouters might be in your house. If you've got toddlers, I'd imagine it'd be them. But, you know, those who shout the loudest in our lives, who just need someone to listen to them. Could we give five minutes, an hour, just to listen and be with others? What about our gifts? Ultimately, Jesus gave his life for us as a gift. What can we give to others? We can give our time, we can give our, our treasure, we can give our, our gifts away. Anything we've given, anything we've been given by God, as the fathers love me, so I love you. Love one another as I've loved you. What can we give away to others? Those five things. Maybe there's something we can do this week. It's to show love to someone else each day. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? Imagine what difference that would make where we live and where we are. Love is the heart of Jesus' message. And he tells us to remain in that love. That's where we find our identity, our security, and our purpose. Our purpose, as is the purpose of every human being, is to love others. So today, we're invited to step into that challenge to love other people. But firstly, I think the Lord says to us, I want to fill you with my love. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need that, don't we? We need more of his love. We need more of his presence. And that's what we're going to pray for now. Shall we stand together?